are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Power in Us. Today's scripture reading is from Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 27. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you created us in your image to be a people for your glory. And that you created us, as the old catechism says, to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. And yet, Lord, we rebelled against you. We chose the way of death. And as a result, we are dead in trespasses and sins. We were once walking in accordance with the principalities and powers of the air along with the rest of the sons and daughters of disobedience. But Father, you, by your sovereign power, being rich in mercy, because of your great love with which you loved us, you made us alive together with Christ. You raised us from spiritual death to life. You awakened our hearts by the Spirit through the preaching of the gospel, and you gave us eyes to see that Jesus is beautiful. You've warmed our hearts by the transformative power of the Spirit. So, Father, we pray this morning, please, awaken us by the Spirit's power. Please give us eyes and ears to see and to hear what your word says about the sanctifying power of the Spirit. Father, help your people receive your word. Help me to preach it faithfully. And by the Spirit, Father, we pray that you would put to shame the principalities and powers of the air. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can learn a lot about someone's spiritual condition by simply listening to his words. 
a famous and now deceased public intellectual named Tupac Shakur <laughs> wrote some powerful words in the 1990s that expresses his spiritual condition. Now, I'm not endorsing all of his lyrics. I'm not endorsing you go out and allow your teenagers to listen to his lyrics. I'm simply highlighting a point that when you listen to some of those lyrics, you, you hear his spiritual condition. You hear a cry of lament to God. And you see the need for spiritual resurrection. Listen to these words. I shall not fear any man but God. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shed so many tears. If I shall die before I wake, please God, walk with me and take me to heaven. Back in elementary, I thrived on misery, left me alone as I grew up amongst a dying breed. Inside my mind, I could not find a place to rest until I got that thug life tatted on my chest. I'm not living in the past, you wanna last, be the first to blast. Remember Cato, no longer with us he's deceased, caught on a siren, seen him murdered in the streets, now rest in peace. Now listen to this, is there a heaven for a G? Remember me, so many homies in the cemetery shed so many tears. I think in one sense, that's our text this morning. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 27, Ezekiel teaches us that we are in need of a spiritual resurrection. Israel is in exile because of sin. In 722 BC, the northern part of the kingdom was taken into exile because of disobedience to the law. They violated the stipulations of the covenant and Yahweh raised up Gentiles, the Assyrians, to judge them. And then again in 586 BC, Israel again, disobeying the law of the Lord, failing to meet the stipulations of the covenant, raises up the Babylonians and takes the southern part of the kingdom into exile. Ezekiel, was one of those Jews prior to 586 BC who was taken into exile, taken away from his land, taken away with God's people, forced to live in oppressive realities. And yet through Ezekiel, Yahweh promised that he would bring deliverance. He promises that deliverance from oppression would come. Deliverance from Sin would come, deliverance from sorrow and shame would come, restoration would come, Israel would be restored, Yahweh's resurrection would come. But Ezekiel also teaches us that while God is going to bring Israel out of exile and take Israel back into the land, which happened, Ezra and Nehemiah tell us this, there's a greater resurrection that's coming, amen? There's a moment coming in history when God and Christ would work and supernaturally raise dead sinners from the dead and write his spirit within them. 
cleanse their sins, forgive them from their sins and make them part of the people of God. So the basic point of my sermon this morning is this, God gives his people eternal life by forgiving our sins for his glory by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Still with me this morning? Still awake? Can you talk back to me? Let me give you some more context here. By sanctifying work of the Spirit, I mean that God sets us apart, makes us wholly devoted to himself, converts us, makes us the people of God. When we think about sanctification, theologically, we often think of it in two specific ways. On the one hand, we think about positional sanctification. That in Christ Jesus, we are righteous. That our position in Christ is a status of righteous. Not, hear this, not the status of sinner in Christ. Yes, we are the saved sinner, that's true, but in Christ we receive his righteousness and our position is one of righteousness before God. That's what we mean when we say positional sanctification, but we also talk about progressive sanctification, by which we mean we grow in holiness. While on, the one, while on the one hand, we are righteous in Christ. On the other hand, we obey God by the power of the Spirit. We are able by God, enabled by God, to live in obedience and to experience victory now, not perfectly, but faithfully, over sin. For the sake of this sermon, however, I'm simply talking about the work whereby God sanctifies us, that is, converts us to make us be his people. Four truths that I think support this point. Number one, the Lord gives us eternal life for his namesake or for his glory. Look at verses 22 and 23. The prophet says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Let me pause for a moment and just interject something. Did you notice the subject of the verb in the text? Israel is in sin. And because of her sin, the Lord brought judgment against them. They, they broke the stipulations of the covenant. Remember Israel, old covenant, Mosaic covenant. The promise from the Lord was, if you obey the law, you live in the land. If you disobey the law, you die in the land. And when Israel violated the stipulations of the covenant, God raised up the Assyrians, raised up the Babylonians to drive them out. And as a result of their sin, they profaned the integrity of Yahweh's name. And as a result, God says, I am going to work. I am going to restore the integrity of my name. I am going to act. I'm going to, verse 23, vindicate my name, by which he means I'm going to, going to justify my name. 
which you have profaned. And then the nations, notice further, the nations, verse 23, they will know that I am the Lord. Watch this. They're not going to know that I'm the Lord by you pulling yourselves out of exile by your bootstraps. They're going to know I'm the Lord when I do what you cannot do, supernaturally intervene and resurrect you from the dead so that my name would be glorified. Brothers and sisters, God works for his people, for his glory, and for our good. God's work of salvation for his people is God-centered. It is fundamentally about God. Does this bother you? God loves God more than he loves anything, which is why he can love us well, right? His love for the integrity of his name moves him to do everything to preserve the integrity of his name and to do everything he can to preserve the integrity of his people. You think of it this way, your good as the people of God is wrapped up in God's de desire to glorify himself. So he says he's gonna act to bring about the fame of his name, which is what I think you see in the rest of the text. Second point, the Lord will restore his people, verse 24. Notice verse 24, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now, let me make a quick historical point here and then connect it to the New Testament for a second. The Lord is really promising Israel to give them a real land. He's promising them here that he is going to bring them out of exile and take them back to Jerusalem and they will, in fact, rebuild their temple. But that promise is ultimately fulfilled and realized not in Jerusalem, not in Israel inheriting a land, but in the new heavens and the new earth. It's fulfilled by means of the transformational power of the Spirit which God brings into the lives of his people through faith in Jesus. This is why, by the way, Paul says, neither circumcision, Galatians 6.15, nor uncircumcision matters, but new creation matters. This is why Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25, he talks about that moment when there's coming a new Jerusalem from heaven to earth. The new Jerusalem is not the old Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is the kingdom of God coming from heaven to earth. It's the whole creation. And the people of God who are in Christ Jesus and the new covenant by the power of the Spirit, we inherit that kingdom along with faithful Jews in the Old Testament who trusted in Yahweh. We're not waiting for, in my view, a physical land in this life. God is going to act, yes, historically in Israel, and in fact, he did act to give them their land back, but they don't have the land now. I mean, Jews are all over the place. The ultimate fulfillment of this passage is what God would do in the new heavens and the new earth. Third point, the Lord will sprinkle us with clean water and forgive us of our sins, verse 25. Notice the text. I, not, not we, not Israel, but I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses, 
and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Israel, you went into exile because of your sin. I'm going to bring you out. You don't have to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. I'm going to work. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to work in your heart. The prophet talks about sprinkling with clean water. This is another way of talking about forgiving us of our sins and giving us the spirit. In other words, it's another way of talking about regeneration. Know that word? The new birth or conversion. Give me an example from the New Testament. In John chapter three, remember that story, Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus comes, or Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he says, Jesus, look, we know you're a prophet from God or else you wouldn't be able to do the things you do. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus presses in and says, basically, what do you mean? And Jesus says, you must be born of water and the spirit. What does it mean to be born of water and the spirit? It means that God must regenerate your heart. It means that God must convert you. It means that you must experience not being born in a Christian home to be saved, but being born from above. Praise God for Christian homes. Those are means by which our children come to faith in Jesus, right? But my faith cannot save my child. The Holy Spirit has worked, praise God, in his heart to awaken him from the dead. Fourth, I think the next couple of verses support that point where Ezekiel says the Lord will give us a new heart, verses 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. What's the new spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know that? That's what the text says. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you. Notice this next line, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I love that translation. That's the NSV, the ESV. I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and I will cause you to be careful to obey my rules. Brothers and sisters, God's action in us by his spirit triumphs and overpowers our inability to obey God. Let me say that again. While we are sinners separated from Christ apart from faith in Jesus, God's supernatural Holy Spirit triumphs and overpowers our deadness in transgressions and sins. No, this is not let go and let God. I do not like that statement. This is cling to Christ because God has supernaturally worked in your heart to raise your dead spirit from the dead. And he supernaturally enables you in Christ by the spirit to obey him. Not perfectly but faithfully. The Lord himself does in his people 
what his people cannot do for themselves. He transforms our hearts by the Spirit. He sanctifies us by the Spirit. Let me say it this way. He makes us wholly, entirely devoted to himself by the Spirit. Unless God takes the initiative, are y'all still with me? Unless God takes the initiative and works in dead, godless, Christ-rejecting sinners, everybody would remain dead in trespasses and sins. If you are trusting in Christ today, just take a moment to praise God because God did that in your life. By the power of the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, the Spirit awakened your heart through faithful teaching and preaching and discipleship that may have taken years, but there was a moment wherein the Spirit applied what you heard, awakened your heart, and gave you eyes to see and ears to hear and a mouth to say, I want Jesus because he's beautiful. The Spirit did that in your life. And you did that when you believed. But you only believed because God raised you from the dead. Application. Ask them to give you a verse first. Paul says it this way. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord. Why should we give thanks to God, brothers and sisters? Well, here's why. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Now, what do you expect to come next? Here's what come next, comes next. I, he chose you through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Did you see that? Did you notice how both divine action, God's work in you, and human action come together in this one te text? God's action, he chose you by setting you apart. Setting you apart for what? To respond to the gospel by faith. And you must have faith and you do have faith, but you have faith because God worked and you believed. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one. Romans chapter three. But Ephesians 2, but God, right? Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Application. Only one, but it's long. But not, not too long. Not too long. Because of God's sanctifying work of the Spirit in our lives, we must develop the mindset of spiritual urgency. Now on the screen it says eschatological urgency. This is another way of talking about spiritual urgency. Now to find spiritual urgency in this way. Jesus is coming soon. Death is coming soon. The judgment is coming soon. Therefore, let's live our lives for God's glory and let's honor the Lord in every area of our lives in the power of the Spirit and with the help of the Spirit. Now, just so that you know, I do not believe in a division between the holy and the secular. 
By which I mean, it is my view that Jesus Christ wants to be Lord of every area of our lives. He wants us to submit everything to him. He wants us to do everything for his glory and for our good because our good is connected to his glory. That means when you study, for example, study hard for the glory of God. When you study Greek and Hebrew and Latin and Aramaic or geometry, Greek and Hebrew and, and Aramaic, yeah, I'm sorry. When you study anything, you study it hard for the glory of God, even if you don't like it, right? Because Jesus wants your education to glorify him, whether you're gonna be a doctor, a lawyer, a business person, or whatever. He wants everything that you do for the glory of God by the power of the Spirit. When you work a job, work hard for the glory of God and the power of the Spirit. And it doesn't even matter if you like your job. You do your job for the glory of God and you ask the Lord to help your emotions catch up with your faithfulness, right? Because what you want to do at your job is to do your work in such a way where unbelievers are drawn to the beauty of your God by means of your faithfulness to do your work for Jesus well. If you're working out, you work out for the glory of God. It doesn't mean you do dumb stuff, like lift more than you can lift. It means you just do it for the glory of God. Do it to honor God and take care of your body, but to honor God. If you relax, and this is coming from someone who's not very relaxed, <laughs> relax for the glory of God. Work hard, play hard, Worship hard, but rest hard for the glory of God. When you clean your room, do it for the glory of God and the power of the Spirit. Every area of our lives belongs to God, and he gives us his Spirit to set us apart as his people, to make us wholly devoted to himself. Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, verse 25, if we receive life by the Spirit, let us conduct our daily lives by the Spirit. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, our chief reason for existing is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever in all things. Both to glorify God and to enjoy him this is our purpose, isn't it? Do you ever wonder what your purpose in life is? I'm 45 years old and I still wonder, what's my purpose? You know what my purpose is? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or perhaps you're thinking, yes, but Jarvis, we're sinners. We all fall short of God's glory and we're simply human. And my answer is yes, we are sinners and yes, we are human as the always provocative Cornel West says, that's always provocative Cornel West says, we all, 
have a little gangster in us, don't we? We all are rebels. We are. We are, yes, created in God's image, but we are rotten to the core apart from the work of God in Christ. Yeah, we could do good things when we were unbelievers. Sure, that's true. But fundamentally, we rebel against God. And the Spirit overpowers our inability in the gospel. So, he wants us, I think, to do all things for God's glory. As we think about this, think about doing all things for the glory of God. I think a helpful example of this is Auntie Ida B. Wells Barnett. She's not really my auntie. It's a phrase of respect. She's an amazing woman. If you haven't read her, I encourage you to read her. She was born to enslaved parents. She was emancipated, well-educated as a journalist, and she used her journalistic skills to shine the light of truth on the horrors of lynching, of, of the lynching of African-Americans in the South. She became known by many as an anti-lynching crusader, traveling around the world, exposing the injustices of lynching. lynching. Miss Ida was a force to be reckoned with, both nationally and internationally. And she represented the very best of the diverse and complex black intellectual tradition. Just so that you know parenthetically, maybe some of you don't know this, black people, we, we are diverse, by the way. We're very different. Not just the shade of our skin, but also in how we think about things. And Miss Ida represents, I think, some of the best of that diversity. She was praised by Frederick Douglass. She worked with W.E.B. Du Bois. She strongly criticized Booker T. Washington. She denounced evangelist D.L. Moody for preaching to segregated congregations and for his unwillingness to explicitly denounce racial injustice against blacks. And she opposed hypocritical Christian organizations for remaining silent as blacks were suffering the horrors of lynching in the South. It has been said about Miss Ida that she had a strong faith anchored in the traditions of Methodism. I have a couple quotes here from her. Uh, I don't typically read quotes from other people when I preach, but I, I want to do it here because this is Ida B. Wells. To give you an example of doing all things for the glory of God. She says, quote, if I can find my quote, <laughs> quote, it may be unwise to express myself so strongly. She means so strongly against lynching. But I cannot help it, and I know not if capital may not be against me, but I trust in God. Another quote, she says this. I know not if I will ever have another chance. Yet I try not to be rebellious, but extract consolation out of the thought that my heavenly Father will reward and bless me for doing what is right. And if I did nothing, sacrificed nothing in return for all that has been done for me, I cannot expect his blessing or his sanction, end quote. It's an example of using your skill for the glory of God. Now, it's my experience in my 45 years of living that talking about doing all things for the glory of God and living for the glory of God in all things by the power of the Spirit sounds cute. 
Until, until we're threatened with losing something, something we value, like money, or a job, or donors, or status, or reputation. And then what often happens is we, and I'm including myself in this, we will, will, will default to self-preservation and become complicit in the very injustice we once may have claimed to despise. And we refuse to use our social capital to affect redemptive change in the places where we live, work, worship, or play. Because we might be afraid, afraid of the trade-offs that may come in living for the glory of God. Are y'all still with me? Can I preach some more this morning? Brothers and sisters, if we want to live for the glory of God in all things, no matter what the cost, we must do so by the sanctifying power of the Spirit. But we must count the cost. Because the cost is great. I promise you, if you do what I'm saying this morning, you're going to lose something. You say, Jarvis, what will I lose? I don't know because I don't know what you have. But I promise you, for example, if you join our church, and if you're here and you're not a member yet, I encourage you to join. I promise you, if you join our church, if you identify with Sojourn Midtown, you're going to lose something. All of us who are members here are sacrificing something to be here. You might get slandered. You might lose some friends because we're serious. We're not perfect here, but we're serious about the gospel. And we're serious about both dealing with individual sin and also discussing systemic sin. And we're also going to seek to, to, to do things to be a means by which to lessen the reality of both as the Lord enables us by the Spirit to do so. Can I get a witness this morning? If you want to be a part of a church where you're going to make somebody or everybody happy, this is not the place. I promise you, you will offend people on the left, in the middle, and on the right if you join us. Because what we desire, we're not perfect, but what we desire is to be faithful, not to be popular. I want to be liked. I'm not liked by everybody. I want to be liked. But the reality is, that's the price you pay, not being liked by everybody, when you give in to what Jesus wants you to do by the power of the Spirit. So we need to pray. We need to pray that the Lord would work by the supernatural power of the Spirit in our lives. Let me apply it this way, redemptively. This promise, as I said, was fulfilled and realized in Jesus Christ. That in Christ Jesus, Jews and Gentiles, we receive the gospel, we receive the spirit. We are the people of God. Jews and Gentiles together, we have the spirit. And therefore, in Christ Jesus, we've been raised to walk in newness of life. We have our hearts circumcised by the spirit, Romans chapter 2. We have the law of God written on our heart. We've been raised to walk in the power of God's resurrection. We, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we have the, the veil removed from our spiritual hearts. So here's the good news for you. 
If you are a believer today, you already have eternal life right now. You already have your sins forgiven right now. You you have already begun to experience eternal life. You, You are right now liberated from the power of your sin. Do you feel that this morning? You feel burdened down by your sin? I know I do. I'm a sinner. But the promise of the gospel is God in Christ has worked to liberate me from that guilt, that shame, that weak conscience that fears the judgment. You already have that by the Spirit. You have the ability. Do you believe this? You have the ability to fight right now, to fight against sin by the power of the Spirit and win. Do you believe that? You have the ability not to be perfect, but to be faithful. So, one way you can fight against sin is you pray. You pray for God to fill you with the Spirit. You pray for God to empower us with the Spirit. You pray for God to help us walk in the Spirit. You pray for God to give us supernatural experiences in the spirit, both spiritually or individually and corporately as a church. Now, I want to lean into this for a moment. I'm nervous about it, quite frankly. Let me preface it by saying these words. I am one of the most stoic people you'll ever see in a worship context. You look at me and I'm worshiping. I'm often, I'm like this. And that's a good thing for me. And sometimes when, when Pastor Jamal preaches and I agree with something, I'll, I'll give the holy grunt. I'll go, mmm. Or I'll say, yeah. Others of us were more vocal. See, what I want to encourage us to do is not try to be one another, but to be free in the spirit. I would agree that many of us in this room, we are held captive to cultural captivity when it comes to worship preferences. And we, we, we confuse our preferences with what we think is, quote unquote, biblical. The cold fact is, much of what I think about worship is a preference, much of it, not all of it. So that means by the power of the Spirit, here's what we should pray, that the Lord would give us gospel-saturated Biblically saturated, supernatural experiences of the Spirit when we gather together for corporate worship. That might just mean that some people might get happy in Jesus in the worship service. (laughs) That might just mean something happens that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about crazy stuff. I have my limitations, right? I'm tempted to say something, but Pastor Jamal said, don't say that in the 11, so I'm not going to say it. (laughs) But I'm one of the most sterile worshipers you'll ever meet, probably, in terms of my inability to, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, because I want to think it before I feel it. It's how I'm wired. It's how I'm trained. But some of you need to feel it before you think it. And what I'm moving us to do is, is to ask the Spirit to liberate us from cultural captivity so that we can appreciate those who think it before they feel it and those who feel it before they think it. 
Because what we want, hear this, what we want is not to do crazy stuff, but we want the Spirit to pour Himself out on us so that we're having supernatural, gospel, transformative experiences in our midst when we gather together for worship. Otherwise, let's just leave, listen to podcasts and stay at home. If you have a problem with this view, I would encourage you to read Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, where Paul says, how did you receive the Spirit? And then in 3, 5, he says this, did you have supernatural experiences? Did the Spirit work miracles in your midst? by works of law or by the hearing of faith. Now look, here's the code fact. My theological convictions tell me not everything that happened in the first century will happen in the churches today. If you want to press me on that a little bit more, we can talk about it after the service. My point is, is that the spirit still works. And sometimes what we, what we need to, what I need to do is get out of the way of the spirit and ask him to conform my discomfort or my suspicion to transform that by the Spirit. Sometimes the Spirit wants to disrupt our theological categories. When our theological categories aren't in line with Scripture, now look, I got theological axes and I'm ready to pull out and fight with anybody on certain things. But the point I'm making is is that the Spirit is not going to ask my permission about what he might want to do. So we should pray that, that the Lord would work in such a way in our midst that, that we'd see people in our congregation confess sin. So that, yeah, maybe, maybe there will be people on the sideline who question and criticize, is it real? But, but the Spirit will still want to do something regardless of how many fans he has. Now, let me come back to the academic Jarvis and say, oh, I want to think it. <laughs> it has to be consistent with Scripture. We should test every experience with the Bible to validate if it's real. So when I say the Spirit is going to work by means of supernatural experiences, those experiences will never contradict what Scripture says. That's why I want to think it before I believe it. But we should pray for the Spirit to work in this way. We should pray. Time's up. My time's up. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we should pray by the power of the Spirit that the Lord will do supernatural things in our midst and come ready and eager to watch Him do them because God has worked in us by his spirit and he's raised us from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit Sojourn Church dot com slash midtown.